This is the Talk Theatre in Chicago interview podcast. I'm your host this week, Anne Nicholson-Weber, and I'm joined today by Barbara Gaines, the Artistic Director at Chicago Shakespeare Theatre, and Chris Henderson, the Executive Director at Chicago Shakespeare Theatre. And we're going to talk about the 25 years of history of the company. This is the 25th anniversary season, and it's always, I think, useful at big milestones to try to step back and sum up and look back. I think the place to start would probably be the beginning. And Barbara, if you could maybe just talk about how this came to be and what how you went about starting, and then maybe also outline for us kind of the major chapters in the company's history, and then we'll try to talk about each of those. Right. Well, I'd be happy to. Um, it all started in, really, it started in 1983 when, um, um, because of a, quite frankly, a, a knee injury where I couldn't work for a number of uh, months, and I was an actress at the time, mm-hmm. I, I really needed to make a living. And um, I had been doing some coaching to wonderful actors in my living room because I couldn't walk. And um, one day someone said to me, one of the actresses says, golly, you would really, you should teach a class. And I said to her, Oh, I'm thinking of teaching a class. I think it's going to be a Shakespeare class. Mm. And, you know, well, maybe we'll start a company. <laughs> Where that thought came from, uh. I don't know, because it hadn't occurred to me until I opened my mouth and she said that. If she hadn't uh-huh. said you should start a class, probably we wouldn't be here. So um, I immediately thought that was a good idea <laughs> and uh, called 12 of my closest active friends and said, what if you paid me um, every Monday night? And, uh, we will, I will teach you what I know of Shakespeare because I had some great teachers and we'll start a company and we'll see what happens. And from that moment, uh, all the energy, energy started, you know, boiling up. And so basically what happened was that in, um, I, cause I, I think we should jump now to 1986, which is when we did, uh, the first show. Um, so it was coaching. It was coaching up till that point. I did a couple of workshops in '84, '85, and then in 1986 with many actors, I, we auditioned uh, Henry V, which and we found a space on the roof of the Red Lion Pub. And um, the whole goal of that performance, that production, which was um, like a two or three week run outside in August, if you can believe it. Mm-hmm. In Chicago, um, the whole goal was to establish a board of directors because we knew we had to raise money and we needed a lot of help because Shakespeare isn't cheap. Um, and so we did. Uh, we got about maybe nine or ten uh, lovely, lovely people willing to take a risk and a, a big chance. And um, uh, they came to the show. They liked it. They signed on. They helped us raise money. And quite frankly, within less than a year, they raised over $90,000 for us. Wow. And that was enough to rent Ruth Page Theater out and to hire... I'm thinking 20 something actors at a pathetically low rate, but everybody but paying was, them. but paying mm-hmm. them absolutely. And they were, you know, equity performers, actors, equity performers. And, um, that pr- production was Troilus and Cressida and, um, it, it got phenomenal reviews and it was an awfully good production. Mm. And from that point on, um, 
there, there was um, a snowball effect. Mm. But the next great sort of the marker yeah. is that I was the, the I, I had two really good ideas in my life. One was to start the theater and the other was to hire the man sitting next to me, Chris mm. Henderson, mm. because Chris took it from just a bunch of actors trying to put on plays. And, you know, he is a visionary and he galvanized the entire energy of the group and so we were on our way as a professional theater company. And that was as of when, Chris? When did you in come in? In 1990. So but I always say it was, it was good that, um, there were a, a few years where vision, um, you know, Barbara's vision was, was being followed in a, in a, a pure initial sense because mm-hmm. as a producer, um, you know, after, uh, Charles and Cressida, uh, Barbara chose Antony and Cleopatra and then the tale of Cymbeline. And <laughs> as a producer, it would be hard to think that right. a Romeo and Juliet or a Midsummer Night's Dream might not need to slip in there in an early, <laughs> right. in an early year. But in mm-hmm. fact, that became, you know, those, those choices were so formative, I think, mm-hmm. both in terms of, um, uh, challenging the artists with this work that was lesser known, but probably most importantly, challenging Chicago theater goers and yeah. exciting them about discovering these plays that um, most of which they'd never seen on stage before. Who was doing Shakespeare before you? Well, every now and then Goodman would do, but that's, and I'm sure there were some, there were, remember there weren't nearly as many theaters right. in those days. So, right. but every, maybe I'm guessing now, so this is just rough. Uh, maybe every four or five years they do one, mm-hmm. but so nobody in Chicago was really doing it consistently and regularly. And I had had a lot of experience um, performing in it and with great teachers. And I was really shocked that nobody wanted to do it. Yeah. And, um, I must say Richard Christensen, the chief critic of the, of the Tribune at the time, uh, came to those, um, early workshops mm-hmm. before 1986 and was very encouraging. And I, I'm not sure how much energy I would have ma- been able to maintain if, if someone who, you know what I mean, mm-hmm. hadn't said, yes, keep going. Right. Keep right. going. Don't stop. So he came to workshop productions, do you mm-hmm. mean? Uh-huh. One second city. Yes, uh-huh. that we did. And in the, it was a big snowstorm and there he was in his galoshes. Oh, and, he's kind of a hero. For yeah, so in many that respect. Companies. Yes, yeah. indeed. <laughs> and, and so that it all, that happened. Um, and it, it, it was a motivating force for mm-hmm. all of us, I mm-hmm. think. It, Cause it, what it did was it didn't it, it give you some legitimacy in terms of what you were doing and how you were doing it. Mm-hmm. I think, but that legitimacy really in those early plays came, I think, from the stage when you look at the actors that were coming who, together. Who was interested mean, in you, doing this? You, name some of the names. Oh, well, Bruce A. Young, Bob Scoggin, Kevin Goodall, Kevin Goodall, Godinez, Larry Yando, uh, Robbie Lehman, Lisa Dodson. I mean, these mm-hmm. are people who, Linda Kimbrough, these are people who are extraordinary actors mm-hmm. who are still quite active today and who, when, you know, when you look back on the history of Chicago Shakespeare, they were like all the leads and all the plays. Right. And here they were at this little mm-hmm. upstart exactly. company. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And Barbara, let me just go back to one thing because you didn't talk at all about your training and how it was that you had come to Shakespeare. Well, I was very lucky. Uh, when I was uh, 12 years old, someone gave me a book of Shakespeare sonnets and I was feeling very lonely and ugly and like I was never, no one was ever going to love me or even like me mm-hmm. when I was 12. Yeah. And so the, I opened up the book, not at the beginning, but in the middle. And, um, it was, it was when in disgrace 
with fortune in men's eyes, I all alone beweep my outcast state and trouble deaf heaven with my bootless cries and look mm-hmm. upon myself and curse my state. Well, that was, as far as I'm concerned, that right, it was writing to me. Yeah. Because that's how this 12 year old really felt. And that was the beginning of my, the window into Shakespeare. I did a little bit in high school, but in college at Northwestern, I had, as did Frank Galati and so many other of our of our um, alumni there, I met the greatest teacher. His name was Dr. Wallace Bacon, and he was a magician and mm. a, a man who respected the messengers that came in, that made entrances, and showed us how to open the door to make them live too, and mm. their perspective. And 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 he was probably. I'm going to be very honest with you, the only teacher at Northwestern who encouraged me to do anything. Hmm. He was the only one. So bless him for but that. But one was enough, as it turns out. One was. It's all you need is one. Right. right. And then after that, um, I met some people from the Royal Shakespeare Company, who uh, Patrick Tucker and John Broom. And, Where? Yeah. How? Well, <laughs> um, I don't remember how. It was a long time ago. It's, it's sort of Just an offhand sort of, thing I, I to say. Have, this Chicago girl. Yeah, you know, oh, and then I ran into the Royal Shakespeare. Well, Company. I think I took. I think I took you know workshops mm-hmm. at different places, I and see. you you run into people there mm-hmm. and I, the Shakespeare Club. Exactly uh-huh. right. And John Barton from the RSC. I mean, mm-hmm. these are these are legends. And right. I, I was very lucky to sort of, in a way, metaphorically bump into them. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. because they really had a huge effect on me. Because with what I had from Doctor Bacon. Um, they just, the levels were added. Right. And those levels were literally, um, keys to unlock, to demystify Shakespeare uh-huh. and to make him as human as you or I. Right. So there was no distance between me and Shakespeare. I just felt that I kind of lived inside of that. That I think is a great gift. And it's something that the Brits have that in general we as Americans don't, that it's just every day Shakespeare is just part mm-hmm. of what you grow up with. And I think here there's more a sense of distance and it's hard right. to get up to him. Kind of. I think that there's more a sense of distance in America regarding theater mm-hmm. as well as Shakespeare. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, Barbara, just to fill in a little bit, when when you started your first-year workshops and then your company, how how ambitious was your goal? How big was your picture of what you wanted? How big was my picture? Oh, well, that's interesting. Uh, I, I don't think my picture, what I really, what I saw before me was a Shakespeare theater on Lincoln Avenue. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I would have been very happy in those days to just have a space where we could do our work. Right. So when we found Ruth Page, you know, in 1987, uh, I was very, very happy because that was, that was it because you people arrived. could come. Yes. We were here. We could do our work. We could start peeling back the onion. We could start having the ripple effects of enlightenment and uh-huh. entertainment uh-huh. at the fingertips of anyone who wanted to see it. Yeah. Uh, I never, ever could have imagined this building being on Navy Pier. Right. I mean, that's uh, that was... That was unheard of. Well, then let's try to trace the steps. It wasn't your original vision. Chris comes in mm-hmm. in 80s... 90. 90, 90. Um, and as you said, kind of bring in a more... I, commercial is absolutely not the right word, but practical. Is that a fair... You were talking about how it was good that Barbara had this time, that the company had this time before a producer came in and said, you've got to do Romeo and Juliet. You can't do, keep doing all the obscure Shakespeare. So how would you characterize that point of view that you brought? Well, I think like like the audiences that discovered the, the theater's early plays, 
I learned as they did that, you know, any one of Shakespeare's plays was fair game. So, so in fact, I think by that point, Barbara and these actors had, had proved that, made the case. that Shakespeare, mm-hmm. um, could be at home very comfortably in Chicago I see what and, you're mm-hmm. and could sit not up on a pedestal, mm-hmm. um, you know, but sit alongside these other great theaters that existed and were emerging all around us um, yeah. through the, through the nineties. And it was really one of the things that, um, I made a very conscious effort uh, toward and that, that I think that those early nineties, um, uh, the way we reached out to, to build the company, um, was that we didn't want people to prepare to go to the theater. We right. didn't want people to feel that they had to mm-hmm. read the play. Mm-hmm. We wanted to sort of not engage in a Shakespeare club or creating a Shakespeare club, um, but to be just another Chicago mm-hmm. theater that happened to be committed to these particular plays. And, and it was, um, I think it was helpful. Yeah, and it was. I, I think mm-hmm. it, it, it made audiences comfortable. I think it, it made us, um, you know, an enterprise that was, um, you know, as we said, more, more accessible, more knowable and, and, um, more inviting. What are some, dis- well, let me ask two questions. First, I just want to get your background in here. So you came to the company from I had, um, I had graduated in the late eighties from the theater school at DePaul, mm-hmm. um, and had produced in, in town for a few years, um, small scale commercial productions, uh, the most successful being A Girl's Guide to Chaos at the Royal George Theater. <laughs> so, uh, Shakespeare was not a, a natural progression <laughs> right. from, from Girl's Guide to Chaos, which, which basically was Sex in the City before Sex in the City. Oh, interesting. Uh, but live on stage. Um, and, and through a mutual friend, um, uh, Barbara and I, uh, got together and, and talked and, um, it seemed a, a thrilling prospect, but in fact, there were few prospects, um, mm-hmm. that, um, you know, it, it was a, a young company producing one show a year, um, each year. And, uh, but Barbara's enthusiasm and, and the level of talent mm-hmm. that she had surrounded herself mm-hmm. with, um, uh, showed that this was an idea that, that needed to be explored. And truthfully, I thought I'd, I'd hang out for a couple of years and, and see what <laughs> happened. Learn some stuff and yeah, like, never, uh-huh. never could have imagined that, um, you know, that we would have the opportunities, um, or the good fortune to, you know, to, to do all that we've, we've done in these, in these 25 years. And, and were you working full time for the company at that point? I was, I was, I wow. was, um, at that point, I probably was the only full time employee. Yes. Of the company. I, uh, very early on, I learned something from my father that has really been a good thing. And that's to know what you're not good at mm-hmm. and surround yourself with people who are really good mm-hmm. at what, at brilliant at what they do. So, um, you know, when, when Chris came, everything changed for the better because, um, you know, we had to, we had to grow up. We had to be responsible. We had, you know, we, we started doing more plays. We did, but it wasn't, but it wasn't an overnight change. I mean, I think that's one of the things now that we're a good generation or two mm-hmm. of, of Chicago theater artists and practitioners later. Um, you know, I look at young artists looking at present day Chicago Shakespeare and realize that, you know, that idea of, this startup company in a yeah. little, you know, apartment office over on Broadway, you know, producing one play a year for a couple of weeks, you know, each run and, you know, being thrilled by the 2000 people that saw <laughs> right. the work that year. <laughs> right. Um, I, 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 that isn't part of the, you know, the, the sense of Chicago Shakespeare anymore, is right, it? Right, right. But, but it's been one of the great thrills that, that Barbara and I have been able to see the company through so many of its, of its stages of, 
of life. But the early 90s were hard. Hmm. You know, we, we, we had no money. <laughs> deficits, you know, mm-hmm. and at, at, you know, at one point in 92, we were carrying a deficit as large as our annual budget. Mm-hmm. You know, we were not getting paid, not making <laughs> not any money. You know, would, um, <laughs> you know, so, so we really did, you know, through most of the, you know, for about 95, uh, 90 to 95, you know, they were really tough times. Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't spend money on marketing because we knew, especially at that time, and as Barbara mentioned, the, you know, the great support of Richard Christensen and, and mm-hmm. the press and the excitement of Chicago theater that helped. But what we really saw was the word of mouth. Mm-hmm. And what we understood was that the entirety of the investment should go into great actors into the art. working on the mm-hmm. stage. And mm-hmm. if we would focus in those early years on making sure that the work was um, not only excellent, um, but consistently excellent, I think that was most important for those for those early years. It wasn't good enough just to do one great show, mm-hmm. you know, and while, you know, you can nitpick against, you know, from play to play, there was something about those early years of the theater that was recognized as mm-hmm. consistently excellent. Right. And that really does snap back to the actors that were bringing that the place to life. Yeah. And then the audience has followed. Right. I mean, if, if you track the, the audience growth from, you know, 1,800 people to 18,000 mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. many, many beyond that now, it really was about the work on the stage and audiences sharing their excitement about what they've experienced with others. It's interesting you say that because I did a somewhat similar interview at Writers Theater because they're celebrating their 20th. And Michael Halberstam said exactly the same thing, that it, looking back, he thinks his, his absolute commitment from the beginning was having the best actors he could mm-hmm. get, and that if you just have enough good actors in a room doing something, people will actually notice. And that's so you're kind of saying it was a similar formula. Yeah. Well, was there a meeting in the early 90s when you said, okay, are we going to give up? Are we done? Is this too hard? N- n- no, we never had that conversation. Did we have that conversation? Maybe you had it with someone else, but I don't think you had it with me. <laughs> was there a moment when you almost quit, Chris? No, no we made, um, you know, there was one of the pivotal moments, you know, in those years was um, going into the 1993 season. Um, and we had been doing, um, you know, we, we went after, um, in 1990, we did um, – King John and Much Ado About Nothing in repertory. Mm-hmm. Um, so we were doubling our plays, but still, you know, putting them in, in um, you know, a, a one and a half month period over the course of a season. Mm-hmm. Um, we did that for two consecutive years, but it was the end of that 92 season where the finances were desperate. Um, desperate mm-hmm. And then some. Um, and, and so there was a meeting where we, we sat down and said, look, we really can only afford to do one show next year. Mm-hmm. And, that um, was painful. Yeah. To go backwards to is that, hard. But to that, Barbara decided to do King Lear. Mm-hmm. And then um, we were able to bring an amazing actor named Richard Neeland to play Lear and put this incredible cast behind yeah. uh, behind and beside him. Yeah. And was that he a Chicago actor? No. No. He started out mm-hmm. on the East Coast, one of the founding actors of um, Provincetown. Uh, mm-hmm. players and then he was in Sa- San Diego the old globe mm-hmm. but I had met him as a I was 19 and I was a um I guess an intern at what is it summer stock in ha- in New Hampshire and I met him in Rue McClanahan they were the stars and they were a hilarious and b dazzlingly brilliant mm-hmm. And, um, and when I realized I had to do, I had to do King Lear, he was the first person on my list. So I called a New York casting director and it was the fir- he was the first person on his list. So it was, and then I called mm-hmm. him, my heart beating out of my chest saying, 
you won't remember me, but. Uh-huh. <laughs> but we had a great and brilliant time together, and that production was extended, if I'm not was it was it extended? It, it, it did very well. Extraordinarily well. well yeah. And won the Jeff Award and he won the Jeff Award. Mm-hmm. But it was probably in 25 years the only moment where it felt as though you were on the brink. Had there been a, mm-hmm. a misstep in, mm-hmm. in any way, shape or form. Nothing mm-hmm. short of excellence. I don't, I don't think <laughs> We'd be would have today. carried us, would have carried <laughs> us forward. I have to tell you something. That's the first time I've ever heard you speak like that about that moment in mm-hmm. time. And how you recognized it as one of those, you know, major moments of it mm-hmm. could go either way. But I had no doubt. Interesting. I had absolutely mm-hmm. no I was sad that I couldn't do two plays. I mean, mm-hmm. I wanted to do more. But I was completely, I've never not been sure that this was going to work. Mm-hmm. Even on the roof of the pub. Isn't that funny? I mean, I haven't been sure to be getting paid all the time. Mm-hmm. But I have been sure that it would go on. Well. You were right. (laughs) There you go. So I'm learning new things about this all the time. So you got through the 90s. Now we're in the mid 90s. Mm. And I get the impression there's kind of another turn there. Well, that was really, you know, uh, about a good hard look at performing in the Ruth Page, having been there Mm -hmm. for a number of years. We had in 94 then moved out of the, you know, the success of King Lear to a three play season because we understood that uh, to be an ongoing concern, we would need to produce more than one six weeks a year. <clears throat> right. Um, and so we did in 94 launch, uh, the first three play season. And while we had sold what we called subscriptions to the two play packages, they, um, or to the two play, uh, seasons, I think we even sold subscriptions to that one King Lear season. <laughs> Truth be told, I'm not exactly sure how we pulled he that off. He can market but, anything. <laughs> but, um, yeah, but, uh, you but can come twice. <laughs> after, you know, once we had, uh, had, had a couple of the, the three play seasons under our belts, it became clear that the, um, you know, the, the, the canvas that we were painting on at the Ruth page was, um, not all that it could be or should mm-hmm. be as magical as the, the space was and as so good it was, as it was to us. It, the question of space, um, was starting to creep into, um, the, uh, day to day work and the, the, the quality of the work and the, the, what we wanted for our artists, mm-hmm. um, to, to, to have in order to do their best work. And so it was in, in about 90, um, you know, 96, we began to talk seriously about, about space and what mm-hmm. a next step might be. And, and Chicago is a city of buildings. And, and certainly at that time, we had examples of, of theaters, um, like Steppenwolf, who had acquired space and, and really been able to, to raise their game. Make a home. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that's still true today. I think we still think about Chicago theater so much, perhaps too much in terms of space. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so it was, that was really, you know, I, I think we saw um, the need and and understood that that might be the next the next big turn for the theater. Although that said, we were still a very young theater, living right. relatively hand to mouth, mm-hmm. and um, the the prospects for space were limited. Were it was a, it was a long shot? Yes, it, it was. was. Mm-hmm. Everything was a long shot. Mm-hmm. And then we were lucky enough to have John Schmidt and Jim Riley from the Metropolitan Pier Authority um, contact us. And to it, see. it came from them. Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Uh-huh. And they had been, um, you know, they had been they, through, through many, uh, through many years as the pier was being redeveloped, they would bring performing arts organizations down to, to meet with them and mm-hmm. talk about, um, what might be done, um, on the pier. At the same time, uh, the now music and dance theater, you know, um, early on had 
you know, theaters involved, and and we had been in those conversations to see what sort of uh, space sharing might be available. Mm-hmm. But it it really then did become clear um, after some explorations about how we could um, do a renovation of the Ruth Page or or sort of do something there. Mm-hmm. We also looked at the Royal George, which at that point was for sale mm-hmm. and had some beautiful um, uh, designs drawn up um, uh, mm-hmm. for for the Royal George. Um, but then the the conversations with with the peer. Um, uh, started to intensify, although as they intensified, I think our thought that the pier would be would be our home um, was not one we were holding securely. Do you mean that you began to have doubts whether it was a good idea, or mm-hmm. you just saw it as a long shot? I think both, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 we really did. We wanted to be in a theater row, mm-hmm. next to Steppenwolf, across the street yes, from Steppenwolf. Right. You know, Goodman, just somewhere where we could be in with the thick a confluence of things. Of things. Mm-hmm. But um, thank goodness we had. I mean, we didn't really. The reason that was a good thing is because we kept turning them down and right. we kept m- making more demands because part of us. Didn't it was really? okay if we, you know, because right. it, we weren't thinking that we we're going to lose much. Right. We were that dumb. Right. <laughs> so perhaps this is another turning point because uh-huh. Jim Riley, who was the, you know, the head of the MPA, was was persistent and I think did have a vision for this pier that he had redeveloped mm-hmm. um, for putting at the center of the pier um, an enterprise like Chicago Shakespeare and what it would say to the city and at what it would say about the pier. Um, and so he did. He 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 convinced us, um, I think, through his great advocacy and, and great vision that we should take this right. opportunity and this piece of, of land. Seriously. What do you think he, I mean, he had other choices, presumably, of arts organizations. What was it about you, do you think, that he felt was so important to what he was trying to do? Well, quite frankly, I mean, I'm, I don't want to put words into his mouth. Mm-hmm. That's not, but he, um, he came to Ruth Page and saw the work. Mm-hmm. I would like to think that was the trigger. Mm-hmm. And then I think they wanted to give a cultural anchor to Navy Pier. Yeah. They really yeah. wanted it to be a, not just a place with cotton candy and, right. and you know, and, and these gorgeous views, but something more substantial. Mm-hmm. And so I think it felt, must have felt like a very good fit for him. And really we, we grew to like him and respect him in a very short amount of time. And we realized early on that he was our greatest advocate. Yeah. And, um, he even came to, uh, before we were started working with the architects for this place, um, I interrupted him on a vacation he was taking with his wife, sailing around uh, or boating around um, uh, Lake Michigan. And I said, "You have we're leaving for England. You have to be here because you, you have to come with us to Stratford-upon-Avon. Oh. And you have to see what you are going to have here because I really mm. want you to love it. And he came with us. And it was that was another major well, moment. That was, an important, mm-hmm. that was an important time because it was really during uh, the time with him, you know, standing on the balcony at the National Theater looking over the Thames where we said, okay, if we could possibly work something out <laughs> like that, that would give right. that would give our audiences the view of the right. city against the water, right. um, you know, maybe right. we can make sense of this. And then we took him uh, to Stratford von Avon and and um, uh, saw a production in the Swan, which had always mm-hmm. been you know such a an exciting venue to us, and certainly mm-hmm. our our theater is, is reminiscent of that space. And and we said to him, if we can develop something where the actor and the audience can share the room in this way and mm-hmm. 
that it can be a, a unique and, and vital theatrical space, well, then maybe <laughs> we can make wow. sense of all of this. Obviously, I'm a lousy negotiator. Chris <laughs> did the good work. Uh-huh. And so then um, we, we, that was the summer of 97, mm-hmm. and uh, we, we came back to Chicago, and we all locked ourselves in a room with lawyers for a couple of months. And, mm-hmm. and at the end of that year with Mayor Daly, we announced that um, we had come up with a, a deal whereby the peer would partner with us to to construct the theater, and uh, Chicago Shakespeare would have a ninety year, a ninety year lease mm-hmm. on Navy Pier. And and during the course of those negotiations, did you ever find yourself saying, "What am I doing here? How can I be in this room?" You know, I still feel that way <laughs> every day. Right. <laughs> what see, am me, I doing? For me, that was the part where it was all meant to be. Then, so right. that was maybe uh-huh. where I would join Barbara and say, "Well, uh-huh. well, this is you know, this is a a." once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Mm-hmm. And at that point, for me, uh, it all just felt right. Mm-hmm. It all mm-hmm. felt like the the natural progression of, of all the years um, that had that come point. before. Mm-hmm. And I think a real, um, you know, a, a, a real sense of what the theater would be, you know, not not just under our leadership and of, of this time, but mm-hmm. the idea that for the 90 years of this agreement, Chicago mm-hmm. would have a theater yeah. You know, named for Shakespeare and and committed to to that canon and, and that was um extraordinary. I, mm-hmm. I guess at that point the, the 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 effort became not only artistic but also civic. Right. Um right. which was very exciting. Um there's so many ways I want to go. Just quickly, Chris, what do you think about you made you the right guy to be in that room right then? Which room? The room with about? all those lawyers. Oh, well, the lawyers did all the heavy, uh-huh. <laughs> the heavy lifting at that point. Uh, it was, it, it wasn't about one person at that point. It was about the work. Would you agree with that, Barbara? No, totally. I didn't not. think so. No, I, <laughs> but we have, we had at that point, you know, we had an amazing board of directors. You know, yes, I'm not, di- key, I'm not diminishing. Of course. Directors, um, uh, the, the thing that probably, you know, whatever role I played probably was, um, based in the fact that I consider myself a showman, not a businessman. Mm. You know, I'm, I'm a theater guy mm-hmm. that uh, knows how to use business to make theater. He um, always I'm brings... I'm a, a businessman. Yeah. This, this probably, you know, if you step mm-hmm. back, this wasn't a sensible business right. <laughs> proposition. Right. Um, it was a thrilling artistic you know, proposition. But that's what makes you so good. That's what makes him so special, mm-hmm. which is even though he is a very good businessman, um, he, his heart is fully theater. Mm-hmm. It's fully, you right. know, the great work in the room. And so, so many of almost all of his decisions are based on that. Mm-hmm. So if your intent is that for the good of the theater, mm-hmm. it's hard to go too far off course. So, Fill in the blank. One thing we've always done well is. Well, I, always is a big word. One thing we've, you know, what have we tried to do well? Because, mm. you know, you stumble. There are stumbles. There are blips on that screen mm-hmm. uh, because we're human and because you can't control everything, can right. you? <laughs> can you? <laughs> you try. <laughs> you try, but we can't. I've always looked up and out. I, I think that's one of the things that mm-hmm. this this never was about a complete works of Shakespeare sitting on a desk. It it was always um, about looking out across the city, about looking at who was going to the theater, who mm-hmm. wasn't going to the theater, mm-hmm. um, 
it was always about recognizing that there are lots of audiences and potential audiences and, and looking at Chicago Shakespeare as having, you know, a mandate to serve um, and not just sell tickets. Mm -hmm. And I think that mm -hmm. when one looks at our program now, I hope that that program, the diversity of that program is reflective of that. I think in looking up and out across the across the world, right? You know, the I world think stages, that's another thing yeah. that mm -hmm. that it is easy, um, in many ways, to in Chicago to just mm -hmm. you know to just look mm -hmm. at at this amazing city mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. in the center of of this big country and say that that's enough, right? Um, and while that is you know that has great riches within it, mm -hmm. um, you know I think we've always been a company that that has looked up and out and that's been right. informed. And has listened to audiences and mm -hmm. has respected when they came to the theater and, and when they didn't come to the theater mm -hmm. and then gone back and questioned. Mm -hmm. You didn't say those idiots couldn't they see no, how oh, great this I was. Never, <laughs> no, never. no, we never, never, ever never, said never, that. never. Yeah. Nope. You know, yes, we're good listeners mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. we, we hear and we ask, I think, with really tough questions. And I think the most important thing, I think you said that really beautifully, mm -hmm. is that, um, it was all, it began as a gift to the city. Mm -hmm. It be, that's, that's the, that was the, what I said in that class. This has to be a gift to the city. And in doing that, that was in a way our first civic journey, wasn't it? Just the creation of the theater mm -hmm. was a, was a civic moment. Uh, and, and, and in everything I can, I can say one thing always. There's one always, and we haven't always been good. We haven't always succeeded where we needed to succeed and blah, blah, mm. blah. But we have always tried uh, to do something for the public good. Mm -hmm. Every decision has been for that. That's big. <laughs> it I is. Think that's now, very... we haven't always succeeded, but right. mm -hmm. that's been the intent. Because I think that isn't true of all art, artists. I think that, you know, and, and I think great art can come out of a very different impulse. It can. But the character of this institution, I think what you just said clearly uh, describes something important about it. Um, well, as you, now we're at the 25th anniversary season and you have a vista of 65 years ahead of you in this space. Um, what do you see as being the next phase? Do you know, what do you hope for that you don't, you haven't accomplished yet or haven't seen yet? Well, I think one of the, you know, one of the, the near-term opportunities that, you know, will inform, you know, the, the next 25 years is, is the opportunity to develop a new, a new venue here in partnership with the peer mm -hmm. again. And, and, and we look to a, a time, you know, in, in 2016 and the years that, that follow, um, to a cleaner, greener, more culturally vital Navy peer. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I think that's part of the, you know, the, the renovation of the pier in the eighties was, was extraordinary, but it was, um, pre millennium park. Right. It was a different time mm -hmm. in, in mm -hmm. Chicago and a different time in Chicago's view of itself. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that the efforts going on right now to rethink Navy pier and to make an investment in a pier that will, you know, speak to the, you know, the wonder of this city and, and engage Chicagoans and visitors alike and, and really become a, um, an asset considered a civic asset as opposed to the Midwest's most visited tourist destination. Hmm. I would um, have said you already are that, but what more ways do you do, are being discussed in terms of making this more of a, you said cultural. I well, believe. I think mm -hmm. as the peer looks at that, um, mm -hmm. one of the things they obviously, um, thank goodness are looking at is mm -hmm. the, the role Chicago Shakespeare has played in defining the peer mm -hmm. in these first 12 years out here on the pier. And so the, um, 
you know, the establishment of a third venue here um, at the center of the pier and, and creating a cultural district at the, the center of Navy Pier. So not just C- CST, but some other... Well, I think some other some other attractions, but really based in, in what will be a campus of sorts mm-hmm, for mm-hmm. Chicago Shakespeare and its, and its programs, mm-hmm. uh, which will open up... Um, you know, incredible artistic opportunities. I think that, you know, as, as amazing as our two spaces are right now, um, they have their limitations. Right. And this, this third venue that we're looking at, um, we hope will, will complement the two existing spaces and give, um, us mm-hmm. for the near term and, and leadership beyond us the opportunity to follow any, um, artistic impulse and have a venue, um, that That's can right. hold that impulse right. and, and produce right. within. So, so this can, will be in between, will be a medium size? No, or? this is a big size. This big, is 950 to 1,000 seat, mm-hmm. uh, hopefully quite flexible space. Mm-hmm. We're focusing on a proscenium stage, but mm-hmm. we want to be able to take that proscenium away and, mm-hmm. and um, you know, have it for other things. Also, I think you touched on it. We really do care about the next generation. I mean, hopefully not in the next couple of years, but, um, but, we don't know what they're going to want in 20 years, mm-hmm. will we? Mm-hmm. And so to give them a space where they can dream and they can have their dreams come true and their style um, is, I think, one of the greatest gifts we can leave them. So it will be, so you're looking for a flexibility, it sounds like, more yes. than anything else. That, cause I, Size I, and flexibility. What can't you do now? Well, I'm going to let you take that. Well, I think that, I mean, one of the, well, scope and scale, mm-hmm. uh, that our, both of our spaces are, are uh, amazingly intimate, mm-hmm. um, but not all theater work calls for that mm-hmm. intimacy. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, the world, for the most part, speaks from a proscenium stage. Mm-hmm. And so the ability to have a 950-seat um, theater in proscenium configuration uh, is an important um, platform mm-hmm. if mm-hmm. we are to join the, the great theaters of the world. Mm-hmm. But as Barbara said, the idea for this space is that you know, all of the orchestra seating can come out, and in fact, it could hold a production like Blackwatch right. within it. Mm-hmm. And so it is at once a very conventional space, and then, on the other hand, a space that can hold a, a piece like Flairs of Bruto or, or a Blackwatch or, mm-hmm. or anything can be reconfigured. one can imagine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Imagination uncensored. So a third space, is there anything else that you see as an important initiative going forward? Yes, I, I, I see, we want to increase um, our international work. We want to mm-hmm. bring more people, more companies from all around the world in because there, this is such an international city. We want all the neighborhoods and all their cultures celebrated within our theater. And then obviously we also want to bring or take our productions out to the world. Mm-hmm. So we want to do a lot more of that. Mm-hmm. Chris and I talked about this um, when I interviewed him about the um, the international work, the world stages. Um, but I think that is a, something we haven't touched on enough in talking about what you have brought to this. Because when the International Theater Festival died, there really wasn't uh, a way for Chicago audiences to see beyond our right. insular picture of what theater can be. Well, that was the actually the Chicago International Theater Festival was, for me, the source of that inspiration. Mm. Um, because I had never, you know, even though I grew up in New York City, I never, my folks never, they just took me to Broadway shows. Poor right. me. It was wonderful. Mm-hmm. But I don't ever remember seeing anything from another culture. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I, I'll never forget the first time I saw the Suzuki Company, mm-hmm. just the first 30 seconds of it absolutely changed my concept of theater forever. For me, it was Robert Lepage. Yes, exactly. <laughs> no. And so 
thanks to, you know, mm-hmm. Jane Silence's international mm-hmm. festival, it was, I want more. I was right. hungry. I was yeah. insatiable for mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. And, and, and then, I mean, Chris and I have, it's, it's good, very similar tastes and the same, the same intent, which is, which is that celebration of the Russian community or the Indian community mm-hmm. or the Rwandan community, the African community to bring, you know, it is, it, this, the world is getting smaller and smaller. And there are many points of connection and many, there's certainly differences. But I do believe, and I, I think I speak for Chris too, that we have much more in common then we have differences. And that is part of what gets, that's part of what evaporates. You know, the, the defeating those, those labels of black uh-huh. versus white mm-hmm. or rich and poor. It, they are defeated when art illuminates. That seems like a really good place to stop. <laughs> Thank you both so much. Thank you, Anne.